Welcome to the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast, presented to you by Hedger University. If you've landed here, you're probably passionate about how horses help people. Whether you're an instructor, therapist, in the business, or have experienced equine assisted services yourself, we're glad you're here. Join us as we talk about the benefits, the science, to-dos, how-tos, and all of the reasons why what we do is so much more than just a pony ride. And now, from the Hetra campus in Gretna, Nebraska, here's your host, occupational therapist Katie King. Hello, friends. I'm excited to share a wonderful woman with you today. Her name is Lisa Whalen, and Lisa is a writer whose debut book, Stable Weight, a memoir of hunger, horses, and hope, was just published this year. Lisa has a PhD and is a composition, creative writing, lit journalism um, professor at North Hennepin Community College in Minnesota, and she's been a hobby equestrian for just the last few years. But our paths crossed because of the enormous way that horses have helped Lisa, and she wrote about all of that in her book, but Lisa shared with me a really personal journey of healing from an eating disorder and living with depression and anxiety and perfectionism, and just how the horses have really helped helped her continue to grow and heal. Lisa brought up a really great point about riding, I think, in horses in general, that it's definitely a recursive process. So that is, it's circular, not a straight line, you know, from A to B. Because horses are so in tune to us, the process of riding or working with a horse is really a wavy line of progress. It ebbs and flows as our emotions and our skills progress, um, both the horse and and the rider or the, the one working with the horse. So for those of us that struggle with perfectionism or things like depression or anxiety where that's that's really hard and we have to take a step back and reflect on the entire picture and process instead of just living in our heads at these tiny little things. But at any rate, um, we had such a spot on conversation about tons of things that I could really relate to and I think a lot of you will too. And I'm just, I'm feeling really thankful today because I've met so many genuine and kind people through this podcast. And um, I'm just blessed to have those that are willing to share their story with me. And this is a really special one. So enjoy. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to hear about um, your story and about your book and kind of how you found your way into, um, into horses and how they've helped you. But before we get there, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about you and your background and and kind of where you are now? Sure. I grew up in Nebraska for most of my life, and then I moved to Minnesota for college and ended up staying here because I really liked a lot of things about the Twin Cities. I was not much of a horse girl growing up, a one-week summer camp when I was a kid. And um, when I moved here and started going to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I discovered in college that I liked writing, but I I think I was kind of afraid that you just couldn't make a career out of writing. And I was so shy, I didn't think I'd ever teach. So I floundered around and had a few different jobs after I graduated from college. And then I worked at a construction company just doing like secretarial work for several years. And as I realized that there wasn't really anywhere to go in that job, once I got past a certain point, I couldn't really grow or learn or move up anymore. I went to graduate school for writing just to see if I could make something out of my passion for writing. 
And so through that, I started tutoring students in writing at the college and I really loved it. And I had a, I was very fortunate to have a mentor there who taught at the college and ran the writing center where I tutored. And she took me under her wing and mentored me and said, I think you would be a good teacher and I think you would like teaching. So she started giving me opportunities and helping to help me grow and learn more skills And once I graduated from that master's program, I began running a writing center at a college and got some teaching experience that way and decided, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. I love this. So in order to get a long term full time position, I needed to get a Ph.D. So I decided to do my Ph.D. in adult and college education. And then I completed that while I was there. And after that, I ended up moving to teach at a community college, which is where I'm at right now. I love the community college set. You might not otherwise have had a chance, a chance to get a college education and change their lives. So during that time, my mentor is actually the person who introduced me to horses. She was a lifelong, is a lifelong horse owner and trainer. And one summer I decided just for fun, just to enrich my summer and take up some time while I wasn't teaching. I would take a few lessons because she had offered to let me come ride with her at some point. And I, I discovered pretty quickly in those first couple of lessons that something powerful was happening, that horses and interacting with them was doing something really great for me in terms of my healing and my growth. And I got hooked and I've been riding ever since. Very good. Yes. I would say that phrase, you know, we're hooked. That happens to all of us equestrian folks, I think, even those who didn't grow up with them. So when you say that horses helped you heal um, and really did a lot of those types of things for you, do you want to fill in our audience just a little bit on maybe your background and in what ways those horses helped you heal? Yeah. So I, um, I talk about this a little in the book, but was very shy and I wanted to please. So I became very timid and very self-conscious and I questioned everything about myself and my image. And I got into this mode where I just wanted to be invisible, perfectionist my whole life from a very young age, which I then learned is a, a really key factor in developing an eating disorder. And that's what happened to me as a teenager. I developed an eating disorder and depression. We've never really figured out which was sort of the chicken and the egg. You know, it's Mm -hmm. they went hand in hand and it's not clear which was the cause and the effect or maybe it was both. So I really struggled with that eating disorder and with depression throughout high school and college into my young adulthood. And I was lucky enough that I finally did get therapy through a place called the Emily program here in the Twin Cities, which specializes in eating disorder treatment. And that was really helpful. And it kicked off my process of healing and growing. But then once I started interacting with the horses, I saw right away how it, the way I think about it is they were like a practicum for me, like a therapy practicum. It was like all the things I had learned at therapy horses made me practice on a daily basis because they're, they're big and they're powerful and they're intimidating, but they're also very sensitive and can be very gentle and they want someone to partner with them and listen to them and communicate with them. So I had to learn all kinds of things about taking up space because that's a huge part of eating disorder treatment is learning that 
you can take up space physically and metaphorically. And I had to learn how to assert myself, which was really scary. And which I think I'd always thought was you have to either be really aggressive or you have to just sort of sit back and let people sort of walk all over you. I didn't know there was an in-between. So horses helped me learn how to be assertive without aggressive, which was something that I just really had a hard time with. They helped me clarify my communication and become more comfortable in my body. And when I was learning to ride, I had to start listening to my body and what it was telling me because I couldn't ride or improve my riding or even know what I was doing if I didn't listen to what my body was telling me about the horse and what the horse was doing and what my position on the horse was like. So it opened up all these ways of knowing myself better and knowing what my strengths were and what I could build on, but also where I had these weaknesses that I could work on strengthening to be healthier and happier. And I just feel like horses helped me become more of a whole person instead of this shell that I think I had been up to that point. Yes. Wow. That's powerful stuff. I can attest to that as well. I had ridden a long time when I was a kid as well, but also struggled with similar things and a little bit of disordered eating and a little bit of, you know, just being really self-conscious and not wanting to be assertive in that sort of thing as you spoke about. And the interesting thing is that I, when I first started riding, I don't know if you felt the same, but you have to work your body in so many different ways and in very, very small ways and the littlest change or the littlest difference makes the biggest, makes a huge difference to your horse. And so for me, I was like, I thought, you know, oh, I, I, you know, I've been doing this forever. I know how to do this, you know, but when I got down to really technical skills, I was like, I don't know how to make my body do that. And so you have to really hone in on parts of your body that I think otherwise you disconnect from and you sort of think, you know, I don't, I, my body was, I listened to a little bit of Glennon Doyle and she talks about how her body was living on an island and she had to vote her body back on the island um, and have and be present with your body. And um, that's something you definitely have to do when you're riding. This episode of the Not Just a Pony Ride podcast is sponsored in part by Equiforce. Equiforce is a database that allows you to track every facet of your organization from horse, donor, and volunteer management to scheduling grant tracking, incident reports, and tracking participant progress too. This is not a one-size-fits-all setup. Instead, Equiforce personally works with you to learn how your facility functions and takes note of your specific terminology so that they can create a unique system to match the needs of your organization. And of course, Equiforce provides an ongoing training and support so that your database can grow with you. Visit them at www.equiforce.com. That's E-Q-U-I-F-O-R-C-E.com. Yeah, I love that image. I, I so relate to that. I talk a little bit in my book about how I felt like I had just taken my head and my body and just completely detached them. And I lived in my head all the time and intellectually sort of living in my head or that whole idea of intellectual escape had been a huge thing for me since I was a kid. I loved to read and I still do. And then I ended up working in an academic field where it's all about being in your head all the time. So it became easier and easier to detach from my body and not listen to its signals. But that is, you know, that's a dangerous path, but it's also 
one that can lead to a lot of unhappiness. So yeah, I still feel like even after I've been riding for about 10 years now, I think, and just even this past week at my lesson, I was like, oh, I don't know how to do that with my body. I got to practice that. So even as I've been sitting at the computer this week, I've been trying to practice being aware of certain small muscles or small changes in my posture to improve that when I'm on the horse. So I absolutely relate to what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So when you first got started writing, did you just start with your typical writing lessons or did you do some groundwork or kind of what has been your progression of, I guess, equestrian skills? The first two weeks of lessons, um, we got some instruction in the, basically the philosophy of the farm where I take the lessons, it's called seventh farm. And so they gave us some overview of their approach and their philosophy to training horses and to riding and to that relationship and why they do what they do. We got the basics in how to tack up the horse and how to groom. And that was really interesting to me too, because in talking about grooming, the instructor was great about explaining why we do that. So it's not just about getting the horse clean to avoid saddle sores, but it's about establishing that relationship and that familiarity and being present and getting into your body again, um, even just through the physical act of grooming and noticing what's changed on the horse's body or um, especially since they're not my horses and they're ridden by other people, making sure to note is there something that looks different or is the horse sensitive in a particular area? And then we did some walking, you know, we were on the horses and did some walking and things like that those first two weeks. And then the third week, they always focus on groundwork. And that groundwork lesson was hugely eye-opening to me. That's where I had, I feel like this really big breakthrough about taking up space because this idea of moving a horse from the ground without actually even touching the horse just seemed, it was scary at first. I was like, what, why would this horse do what I want it to do if I'm not even in physical contact with it? And then when I actually learned how to do it and it worked, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Just with my physical presence and my intention, I can communicate something or I am communicating something that I didn't even know I was doing. So that level of awareness between mind and body and of learning and growth for me too, that were so good for my eating disorder treatment. And I think for depression too, because it showed me that I can be active and I can assert myself and have an impact on my environment and on people around me without having to be aggressive or, you know, mean <laughs> in that sense of the word, which I just never wanted to be. So that, that was, I found groundwork to be incredibly powerful. And I still do a little bit of that at the start of every lesson, especially when I'm riding different horses sometimes for different weeks. Yeah, I can also attest to that. I just had the pleasure of purchasing my first horse, you know, by myself and I got him as a yearling. So, I mean, he was coming too. So he had a lot of work to still be done and training to learn. And obviously we we're still not riding quite yet, but you know, we've had to do all this groundwork and I've discovered through it that, I mean, I, I'm a, I'm an occupational therapist by trade. I'm around people all day. I, you know, I have no problem, um, you know, helping my patients and that kind of thing. But when it came to helping Fritz, Fritz is his name. I discovered that I was a little more like hesitant and 
gentle, but to a point where um, he was almost like, why is this lady walking on eggshells? I, I'm going to be scared too, because she's a little scared, you know? And so now I'm going through this transformative process of I need to, to, to be there with purpose and walk and, and be around him with purpose and assert myself in a way that it's not aggressive to be assertive. Um, and then that helps Fritz feel more confident because I'm confident and because I'm, you know, walking around, like I know what I'm doing, even if I might not, but you know, so it's amazing how much just being on the ground with your horse. I mean, you learn about each other. I learned about myself. It was really quite amazing. That's, oh, that's so exciting. Congratulations. First of all, on on having your first horse, especially as a yearling, that's so cool. Cause you'll have these years of learning to learning each other and building a relationship. And that just sounds so exciting. And I, yeah, absolutely. Everything you said just clicks with me too. That's, that's exactly how I think learning to ride horses and being around them helped me become a better teacher Mm -hmm. because I I had the same thing. And I, I think I knew it on some level, but I didn't know what to do about it. I was too timid. I kind of walked on eggshells around students, which made them nervous and uncertain when I was teaching and being with those horses, especially on the ground and doing that groundwork and watching the owners of the farm train new horses they got in. Most of theirs are thoroughbreds off the racetrack. So they have to go through a whole deprogramming and, um, you know, even physically just like relearning their bodies instead of going just left in a circle all the time and, you know, stringing out and going, for broke for that short period of time. So watching them train those horses, it was really instructive to me to, to learn that when I was more purposeful and intentional and came out with confidence and was assertive instead of walking on eggshells, it made students happier and the learning process better. And they were actually better and happier with having those boundaries and knowing that I was clearly a leader who was going to lead them just the way that horses want a leader who's going to lead them. So I saw so many parallels that helped me become a much better teacher and the communication piece too. You know, I'm a writer and I've always loved books and texts and words. And so language has always been my my wheelhouse. And that's what I depended on to get me through when I didn't know what else to do. And suddenly here were these horses and I had to communicate and lead and I couldn't lean on language anymore. So I had to learn how to, like you said, move with purpose and come with purpose and intention and embody that instead of just falling back on language all the time, which was my crutch, I think in some ways. Mm -hmm. That's why I can't, I can't say enough for things like groundwork um, and, and some of our programming that isn't mounted activities. I mean, Hetra here at Hetra, we do a lot of like EFP. So that would be like equine facilitated psychotherapy with a mental health therapist. But we also do, um, we do a lot of veterans programming and small groups and even like corporate retreats where, you know, companies can come in and, and hang out with us for a day and the horses. And I think there's, you know, some people think, well, if you're not riding, what's the point, but there's so many soft skills that you gain from just being around the horses or even just watching them, you know, interact in a herd that is really, really important too. Oh, absolutely. I, I find watching the horses in the herd just fascinating. The seventh farm where I, I ride, they do have the horses live as a herd and occasionally they're bringing in a new horse as some retire from lessons and things like that. So watching 
the shuffling that goes on and how the individual horses check each other out and form relationships and try to move up in the herd sometimes and things like that. It is so interesting. And I'm not even sure I can articulate some of that. It's still somewhat new to me, but the carryover to human relationships and in organizations is, is so interesting too. It is when we do some of our um, programming with small groups like that, with like veterans or at-risk youth, that kind of thing. We always ask uh, after they watch kind of herd dynamics, we call it, we ask, you know, who do you, who did you most associate with in the herd? You know what? And so, so you listen to people's answers is very interesting because as, as equestrian folks, we know that that's the head, you know, the head horse or he's on the bottom or, you know, whatever. So it's interesting to hear people relate to other horses in the herd too. Yeah. I, I actually have a chapter in the book about this one horse who came in, his name was Finn and he came in as a new horse off the track while I was there. And he happened to come in at the same time as another horse that they got, who was, he is a thoroughbred, but he's a little bit smaller and he tried racing, but he just wasn't fast and didn't do particularly well at racing. And they came from two different places. They'd never met but their reactions to being in a new environment were fascinating. Finn was incredibly timid and nervous and had some of those stereotypic behaviors at first, just because he was so nervous. Whereas Cash, the other one, he just came out all dominance and all aggression. And, <laughs> exactly. And I did, I felt this really strong affiliation with Finn at first, just because I recognized his anxiety and his worry about this new environment and what was going to happen to him. And it was interesting to see the contrast between that and cash. And then I got to watch Finn as he learned how to assimilate into the herd. And he was very timid and he was at the bottom, you know, from the beginning, but he's done a really nice job of adjusting and fitting himself in. And, you know, he's not the, the one that everybody picks on anymore. So that being able to identify, like you said, with mm -hmm. one of the horses and then see how they fit into the group and what happens and how that changes is fascinating mm -hmm. and, and very illuminating, I think too. Yeah. Much like, much like humans, horses learn to adjust and they find their place, don't they, in the world. So beyond um, doing groundwork and some of the other things that you were working on, you're riding now and you're doing some jumping, correct? Yes. Yeah. I, um, I didn't start riding until I was in my mid thirties, which is a pretty weird thing. I think for most people, and I don't know that it's an ideal time to get into horses with your, you know, when you're going into middle age, but so I never thought I would jump. That was, that just seemed scary. And it was never something I thought I would do, but we slowly worked up in these exercises. And the first time I tried it, I was like, this is so fun. This is the coolest thing ever. I want to do this all the time. So yeah. So since then we do a lot of flat work too, but, um, I just, I love jumping and that too has been a whole revelation and a confidence builder in many ways too. just feeling how different each horse is physically, but also their mental and emotional approach to jumping. And one of the things that for me being a, a perfectionist and sort of a high anxiety future focused person that I learn fence at a time, right? Every fence is different. And even if you're looking at a, a five course, a five fence course, you can't be thinking about fence number four when you're coming up to fence number one, you got to stay present 
and you got to take one fence at a time. And that, that whole idea, that metaphor of, nope, you got to do, you know, take one jump at a time, one fence at a time. I actually fall back on that and think of that when I feel anxious or I find myself projecting too far into the future about something. So even jumping has had all kinds of insights and lessons for me as well. Interesting. Kind of like a mantra. Uh, That has been one thing that I've been battling lately too, is how do I live within the moment and right here, right now, writing has done that for me as well, because horses can sense, they have an incredible sense of that, that incongruency. So, you know, on the outside, I'm like, yep, I'm here. I'm in the moment. Mm -hmm." No. And my brain's thinking about what's my life going to be like in two years. And, you know, I'm all stressed out and, you know, thinking, you know, anxious and thinking about the future and, um, and your horse can sense that. And, um, I've had a couple pretty, not bad, but pretty, um, difficult rides in the last few weeks because I can tell my brain is, is somewhere else and thinking about the future. So that's interesting about horses. Yeah. It's amazing how they can do that. I, I, you know, they had told me that when I first started riding those first few lessons, when they were explaining their philosophy and I, I didn't doubt it. I believed it, but I don't think I really understood it until I had those weeks where I came in and I was upset about something that had happened at work, or I was thinking about something that was coming up and I wasn't entirely present. And I began to see how powerfully horses reflect back at you, what you're going through and what's, what's happening in your body, even if you're not aware of it. So they're really powerful aids in that way at like reflecting back. No, you think you're you think you're doing this or projecting this, but you're actually projecting this or you're this is what's actually going on. And it's amazing once you know a few fairly small cues and observe them, how clearly they do communicate that and how it's fairly easy to pick up on what they're telling you once you learn how to pay attention to it. Yeah. So if you, as you've been writing, you know, have you had um, times in your, you know, writing career, if you will, like as you've been growing and learning and healing that you felt set back or you felt like there was times that were more difficult. And do you think that connected with a time in your life? Yeah, absolutely. I, one of the things that's been so powerful for me, especially in terms of learning to recognize and push back against perfectionism is this idea of writing being recursive. So in teaching and learning, we talk a lot about how, especially for when students are learning how to write well in, in, in academia, it's a very recursive, meaning it's circular. So you learn something and then you go to add to it and you might have to go back and relearn that or build on it. And, and so it's a very circular process. And as a perfectionist, I'm always thinking, nope, straight line forward, right? I'm going to do everything perfectly. I'm going to get it the first time and I'm going to be perfect at it. And then I'm going to go on to the next one. And when I'm not, I get really discouraged or frustrated or in the past, I would even want to quit now, but yeah, there were times when I first started jumping where I was like, this is so great. And then I would ride a different horse and it would be a disaster. And it would be like starting all over learning how to jump because it was a different horse and they were at a different stage of their training and development too. So yeah, it's, it's very much a circular process or a like a wavy line, I guess, rather than a straightforward line of learning and improving. But that's been good training and good therapy for me too. Mm-hmm. 
This episode is also sponsored in part by Wooden Horse Corporation and the Equisizer. The Equisizer is a handcrafted, non-motorized mechanical horse used by equine assisted service programs worldwide. The Equisizer requires no electricity, tools, or maintenance and can be used indoors or out for evaluations, warm-ups, stretching, mounting, dismounting practice, and volunteer training, beer, and build confidence with students, clients, and volunteers. It can easily carry the weight of two adults, offering the unique option to ride tandemly. To learn more about the Equisizer, visit Equisizer.com. That's E-Q-U-I-C-I-Z-E-R.com. Horses are animals and fluid beings, and so are we, and everyone's entitled to have a bad day. And so horses really teach me to take things as they come and, and not be too hard on myself. And I think that's important too. Oh, definitely. And I, I remember in one of my first lessons, um, I was getting frustrated with myself, not so much with the horse, with myself, because I just wasn't getting it. I was when his, this horse's name was Buck. And when he was supposed to keep going, he'd want to stop. And when he was supposed to stop, he'd keep going. And I was getting so frustrated. And I remember my instructor telling me, hold on. And, And I think she and I had known each other for a total of maybe like four or five hours. And she goes, you're a perfectionist, aren't you? And I was like, whoa, how, how did you catch that already? And she was like, look, you know, the horses aren't perfect and they don't care about being perfect. They don't try to be perfect. So that kind of lets you off the hook. You have to let go of that. And that was, that was really profound for me too. And just knowing that the horse isn't perfect and I don't expect the horse to be perfect. And the horse doesn't expect himself to be perfect. Like that just draw a whole level of anxiety and perfectionism and impatience and frustration and all that just dropped away. And I've been able to hold on to that. And that's been so helpful because you're right. It is like some weeks I show up and I'm just not as good at something I might've excelled at the week before, or I get on a horse I rode for months and had ridden last week and she just feels different. And I have to remind myself, well, she's had other lessons. She's had other riders. She maybe got in a scuffle with another horse in the herd. Like she's had a whole life outside of my one hour with her a week too. So it's been really good at helping me cultivate grace for myself and for others too. Cause it's like with students sometimes too, if I'm like, oh, I taught you this and you were doing really well. Why did you suddenly just stop doing it. And then I have to remember, oh, wait a minute. No, this is just like being with the horse. The students had other experiences and they're different today and I'm different today. So we, I have to grant us both some grace and we'll, you know, we'll figure it out. But yeah, it's been so wonderful that way too, because I'm much happier when I have learned how to grant myself and others grace too. So it's, that's been really powerful for me. Yes. I think once we're able as human beings to recognize that sometimes others treat us in ways, or you have situations, you know, that happen that you, you have to recognize that that's not necessarily something that has to do with you, that, you know, that person has things that happen to them and, and, and pain that's their own or, you know, and with the horses, they have stuff that they've got going on too. And that not everything is about you. And you just, you accept that with, like you said, grace and kindness. And, um, that's a lot easier on you when, as a human, when I think we can accept that. Oh yeah, definitely. Or even things like understanding that horses are prey animals. And so that drives their every thought and feeling and emotion that helped me to understand them. And then also just myself too, right? Like first 
first and foremost, we're all about self-preservation, right? So that's always going to be our first gut instinct. And then we have to learn how to recognize and check that and listen to it if it's appropriate, but also recognize when it's not and modify our behavior accordingly. So that has been super interesting too, because again, I think I knew somehow abstractly and intellectually that horses are prey animals, but until I started interacting with them, it wasn't clear to me how much that drives everything about their every moment of every day and how I can learn from that too. Oh my gosh. Yes. The amount of time that I spend saying to my young horse Fritz, um, thinking brain, thinking brain, use your thinking brain. (laughs) Don't run away from this. It's not scary, you know? And, um, I laugh because I say that constantly and then, um, I'll be doing something and I'm like freaking out and, you know, and, and, and all, you know, just anxious. And then I'm like, Katie, use your thinking brain. It's going to be okay. (laughs) So there's a lot more parallels between us than we know. (laughs) Oh yeah. And even with my students too, I have to remind myself, you know, school, especially when it comes to English classes and writing, those are things that cause a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. And many people coming into my classes have not had any positive experiences with reading or writing or, um, or even school up to that point. And so they're coming in in a heightened state, expecting certain things. They're almost like that horse in a new environment who maybe has learned to fear or have a negative association with things. And so I have to really try to I I remember and try to remember too, that for me, books and reading and language and writing was always my safe space. And it might be the opposite, probably is the opposite for most of my students. And so Mm -hmm. I have to remember that and start from there. And it's just as important to help build them up and show them what they're doing well, as it is to help point out some things that could be better because that's, you know, that was hard for me too. When I first started writing that perfectionism thing, like I wanted to get it right the first time. Right. And if I didn't, I thought I was a failure and I was like, no, mm-mm, you're just, you haven't done something that you're not great at for a long time. Now that you're a professional adult. And I think as professional adults, well, even adults, no matter what we spend most of our time doing things that we're fairly good at, or that we know how to do. And it's, I had forgotten that, you know, when you're young and when you're a kid, you do stuff you're not necessarily good at all the time and it's not a big deal, Mm -hmm. but we forget how to do that when we're adults. And so learning to ride as an adult in my mid thirties and only doing it once a week, it taught me how to, how to enjoy and have fun and grow from something that maybe doesn't come naturally and that I'm not super great at from the first moment, but that it's still very much worthwhile so that um, I try to put that into my teaching as well. And talk to, I talk to students about the fact that I'm not, I wasn't a natural writer and it doesn't come easily, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth doing and that I can't get better at it. And the same is true of writing and reading and school for them, right? Like maybe it doesn't come naturally, but it doesn't always have to be hard or a struggle or negative. They can keep working at it and they'll get better if they do. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Really, really beautiful. That translates to so many areas of life, not just writing or school or, you know, whatever it is. So it's beautiful. Well, I am um, excited to share information about your book and about um, you as a person. I know you have a lot of other things that you offer as well. Um, So kind of as we're wrapping up here on time, is there anything 
um, maybe that you would say to our kind of equine audience about, you know, reading your book or, or that? Yeah, I, my whole purpose in writing the book was, well, I guess I had sort of a twofold purpose. One was it was, it was a, a learning and growth and therapeutic process for me, but my biggest thing was I really wanted to put this out to have, hopefully that it would let people learn from and benefit from my mistakes without having to make them. If I can help, especially since I teach a lot of young females and we know that college is when a lot of eating disorders, especially had their onset, if I can help prevent that or help to fix that with any readers or help them, you know, to some growth and insights that are beneficial, that would make the whole thing worthwhile to me. So I just hope that everybody can find something from the book that's beneficial in their own life so they can adapt and, and put to use the way that is best for them. And I think one thing I would maybe caution people about too, is that my book sort of like learning to ride and watching horses and training horses, isn't necessarily linear. It's more circular. My book is almost a little like that too. It does have a narrative that goes through in terms of chronological order, but it also is thematic. And so it's not straight from beginning to end. And I think sometimes that can frustrate some readers. So I would just say, you know, um, be prepared for that. <laughs> right. Well, very good. Um, for those of you listening, I'm going to share lots of information on where to find your book and some other resources and that kind of thing in the show notes. Um, so the last closing question um, that I always end my podcast with is you can either tell me about your kindred spirit what you relate to the most, or um, if you've had a heart horse or a horse that's really impacted you in particular. Yeah, I would have to say my heart horse is probably Finn. He, like I said, he came in and he was very nervous and anxious and had a hard time. It took him a while to adapt to life at the farm. And, but he has such a sweet, willing personality and he is very relationship oriented. He likes people and horses and he wants to reach out and connect with them. He just at first didn't have all the tools he needed. And it's been gratifying watching him grow and develop and become a favorite lesson horse among many of the riders there and even go to some shows and do well at shows that I like to, I like to see the parallels and think that I've been growing and developing and coming out of my shell and learning to adapt as well. So I'd have to say Finn is probably my heart horse. That's wonderful. Well, just from talking with you these last few minutes, I can tell you you've grown a lot and you have a lot of um, information, experience and, and wealth of just of things to share with the world. So I wish you the best of luck with your book and with all of your endeavors. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. I'm really excited to be able to talk to you and talk with your listeners as well. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Lisa. Until next time. This podcast is presented by Hetra University, an educational arm of the Heartland Equine Therapeutic Riding Academy. Hetra University's mission is to provide high-quality educational offerings to our participants and the equine-assisted services community. Craving more content like this? We invite you to check out our series of webinars and much, much more over at hetrauniversity.org. If you'd like to help us work toward our mission, you can make a donation by clicking on the link in the show notes below or visit us at hetra.org. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Again, my biggest thanks to you all for helping Hetra change lives one stride at a time.